I think that the industry could vastly improve if everyone took the time and effort to understand basic concepts. And I say that to contrast that with understanding using specific software and workflows. So those are not very important in my estimation. Concepts are. My name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off In-Depth Conversations in Applied Geophysics. For this episode, I speak with Michael Briannick on his new book, Understanding Signals, Basic Waveform Analysis from a Geophysical Perspective. In this concise and informative book, Michael walks the reader through one of the foundational principles of geophysics in a way all readers can benefit. This book will help inform all aspects of the field, from geologists to programmers to managers to experienced geophysicists. And we also discuss how Fourier analysis and the Beatles relate. You'll want to hear this one. For Michael's full biography, read the show notes for this episode at seg.org slash podcast. At this link, you can also find how to buy this great introductory book today. It's a great gift to the aspiring geophysicist in your life. Now for our conversation. So, Michael, what is the 60-second summary of your book? Okay, so in geophysics, uh, signals are our stock and trade. They underlie everything we do. And extracting meaning from them, interpreting them, starts with a methodical scientific analysis. So uh, my book is an attempt to introduce and explain those concepts um, behind that analysis. And I start with defining what a signal is and how it can be described in fairly simple, but at the same time, proper mathematical terms. And then I go on to show how we can turn continuous signals into a sampled format for digital analysis on a computer. Then, uh, after introducing the Fourier transform, um, I show how it can be used to do quite marvelous things to signals. And throughout the whole book, I'm using Microsoft Excel to describe everything because everyone has it or something like it. And it makes it possible for any, everyone, anyone to do these things themselves without any major investment. I like that touch that you had um, to, to include that. It kept with the themes of the book. And, and you've spent 30 years in the industry, have a PhD, have expertise in AVO, rock physics, seismic petrophysics, just to name a few. Why did you think it was important to write a simple and concise book on this topic? Maybe because I do have this experience and I found, even so, when I had to look in detail about how to analyze signals, uh, I had to, and not to put too fine a point on it, relearn things. And I even had to figure things out that I really hadn't known or only knew imperfectly. And I don't know, maybe I'm a perfectionist. But it, it bothers me when I don't know something, and it bothers me when I can't do something. And then I figured, well, maybe others are in this position too. And at the same time as, I was, as this was going on, I was having to explain these concepts to software developers. Now, programmers know how to code. They know how to take concepts and make useful applications. But they don't, don't necessarily know those concepts themselves. And why should they? So I needed simple, basic explanations. And why signals? And maybe it was just the time. Maybe I would have done another topic if it had been at the top of my mind then. 
But then again, what's more basic to our field than signals? I, I liked building off that example of the programmer who who may need to know certain things about signal analysis procedures. You mentioned a geologist may interpret geophysical data, you know. Yet and yet, frequently these these people, these non experts in in geophysics, may not know these things. How do you think the industry could improve if certain basic understandings of geophysics went across the workforce that geophysicists engage in? So I think that the industry could vastly improve if everyone took the time and effort to understand basic concepts. And I say that to contrast that with understanding using specific software and workflows. So those are not very important in my estimation. Concepts are. So engineers don't need to know exactly how a geophysicist came up with a map of a depth horizon, but they really need to understand that there's a link between seismic travel time and velocities and that we can turn those into depth. Or they need to know that we can invert seismic signals to create rock properties. And they need to know enough to trust us. And to be honest, they need to be skeptical and know enough to be skeptical of it. Uh, geologists need to understand geophysics, of course. Um, and to be honest, it's, it's the limitations that they really need to understand. The difference between depth and time, uh, issues of resolution, and the inherent am- ambiguity of, of, of geophysics. Do you, uh, on the flip side of that, do you think there are areas that geophysicists may need some basic understanding in? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, geophysicists, and I think along with everyone else in the industry, uh, but perhaps we maybe carry that responsibility a little more, is to have a much better basic understanding of statistics and uncertainty. And certainly in the work I've done, I've felt this lack. You know, we all want concrete answers, but we have to admit that geophysics doesn't always give us that. But, you know, because we have control over the measurements that we make and the processing and the analysis, we have more than enough control that we can calculate those uncertainties. And in particular, we know we, 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 we should be able to present them so that others can appreciate them. And uh, another thing that I've always felt the lack of, particularly being a technologically biased geophysicist, is an intuitive grasp of geology. And ultimately, that's what it's all about, understanding the, the geology. It's one thing to make measurements and calculate all sorts of wonderful properties, but it's all about relating those to the rocks and their history. In seeking to write a concise book, did you find a chapter or particular topic to be the most difficult to achieve this goal? I, uh, I struggled with the chapter on convolution, that is signal analysis in the measurement domain. After making most of the book, after writing most of the book about the spectral domain, did I need to close the circle in this way? And ultimately, I decided that yes, I did. And while I thought I understood the concept well, I did have difficulties in creating concrete, meaningful examples. And, you know, maybe I didn't really understand the concept as well as I thought. And it was the last chapter I wrote, and I really had to force myself to do it. And I had to work very hard to get to the essence of it. I think I succeeded, but you know that'll have to be up to the reader to to decide. How does Fourier analysis and the Beatles relate to one another? Ha! I thought that was such a clever insight. I loved it. 
I don't remember when or how I came across this uh, YouTube video. And it's not even a video. It's, it's uh, actually an audio snippet, snippet from a CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, radio program. And uh, Randy Bachman, who was a guitarist from the Guess Who and from Bachman Turner Overdrive, uh, was telling about how he was invited to the Abbey Road Studios by um, the son of George Martin, George Martin being the producer of um, many of the uh, Beatles uh, songs. And uh, Randy got to listen to the source tapes for the opening chord of A Hard Day's Night, you know, that iconic clang. This piece of musical perfection, it turns out, was made up of George Harrison on his 12th string, Paul McCartney on his bass, and John Lennon on a rhythm guitar, all doing different things. And you can't predict, listening to each of the components, what it'll sound like together. And I thought it was a perfect, you know, not even, it wasn't even a metaphor, but a real concrete example of Fourier's concept of signals being made up of a bunch of much simpler signals. And it sort of brings the whole concept into a world that almost anyone can appreciate and understand. And it's, it's all related. As the editor of this podcast, I found it particularly interesting, your chapters on noise and filters. So when I go back to edit this podcast, I will work in the spectral display to do quite a few of the things you mentioned, terms like low pass, notch filters. These terms are very common to me in, in the concept of editing sound. However, the idea of calculating the signal to noise ratio is foreign to me. What is the benefit to a geophysicist for calculating this ratio? Ah, <laughs> the benefit would be enormous. Uh, the problem is that when you're working with real data, you, you never, you can't know what that is. You can only make some, some, some estimates. It's only when, you know, when you, when you are making up examples, you know, you've got a signal, there's any noise, and you add some random noise to it, you know, then, then you can, you, you can calculate the signal noise ratio uh, perfectly and understand the concept, but you know it, it's it's a difficult thing to estimate, and it's useful because if you can do it, and you know there are ways, um, but if you can do it, it gives you some idea of how trustworthy your data is, what you can what you can count on, and and maybe what what you have to um, leave in, in in the realm of uncertainty. You know, one of the, and this kind of goes into the next question, you know, I like to consider myself well-read, but it can be very difficult in highly technical disciplines like geophysics, for example, to read a book and, and be able to imagine and relate it to the fields that you're an expert in or that you work in. And in this case, even as, as I work with members like you in the field. So this book really was one of the first that I've read that really helped me be able to relate some of the things that I, I do in my job, but also what the members do in geophysics. So I really appreciate that about this book. And in your conclusion, you provide some helpful insights into how terms, how much terms matter across professions. You know, I was an economist in undergrad, you know, so something I might call data, a geophysicist may use the word signal for. So what actions could be taken to have better awareness across and within fields of what terms mean or, or what they could also mean to someone else? Maybe it's just me, 
either I'm not literal enough or maybe too literal. I, I, I don't know which it is, but, you know, I hear something, a term, a word, a phrase, and I find it very hard to connect that, that phrase to a, what may not be a particularly common phenomenon. You know, it just doesn't mean much to me. And having several phrases for the same concept makes it even more difficult. And, you know, I don't really worry so much about terms across disciplines, but I do think that having several, you know, what we can call aliases for the same thing in geophysics is a problem. So something that's called a slant stack is a tau P transform, is a radon transform, more or less. And it took me several years to understand that it was the same thing. So, you know, why obfuscate? And I suppose in every field we have jargon and we need to make our mark and make sure that, you know, we keep the outsiders out and language is the way to do it. But it is a barrier to understanding. And I guess the best way to counteract it and whether, you know, it's within the same field or between fields is to really understand the phenomenon and the phenomena and the concepts and realize that names are just labels. They're meaningless in themselves. And when we talk about these things with outsiders, we need to explain and define. You know, we do have to label things. We have to give them names. But we need to be aware that they're just names, not the thing itself. You know, it's nice to know the word for table in, in many languages. It's, it's nice to know. It's fun to know. But it's really more important to recognize what a table is and you can use it to have dinner on or write a book on so I guess the trick is to think broadly and to realize that there's little that's new under the sun and that people are going to be perverse and label things strangely. What do you hope your book contributes to waveform analysis? Well, I hope it'll allow people to get a basic understanding of what underlies waveform analysis. Uh, I hope it'll encourage people to see that it isn't necessarily difficult. I mean, it is rocket science, but is rocket science really so hard? Uh, I hope the readers will take those concepts I've tried to convey and use them as a foundation for learning more and maybe innovating and making new things. What would be a, a good next step for a student coming across these topics presented in this book for the first time to learn more? Uh, you know, I've tried to show the concepts here with uh, as little mathematics as possible, but, you know, a more mathematical approach is necessary. Uh, and I think that anyone with a university degree in physics or geophysics or math or engineering uh, would have more than enough math to to understand things further. And there are plenty of university-level mathematically orientated textbooks that offer a more sophisticated approach. Now, I've always found such textbooks to be a bit problematic since they're more concerned with rigor and completeness than they are with with concepts and linking ideas to things we may have some intuitive understanding of. Yet, you know, they are important. And once you understand what they're trying to say, they're very insightful. And the same goes for university and college level courses in the subject. Now, in fact, one of the purposes of this book, something I would have loved to have as a student, is to be a complement to such textbooks into formal university and technical courses. So the basics are presented here, I hope, in an accessible way that, that can be used for more in-depth understanding and practice. And then finally, there's nothing that beats doing. I've shown that a simple piece of software like Excel can do a lot. You can play with things, see how they work. 
I strongly encourage this. See what I've done and go further and see what you can do. Make mistakes, do silly things, but you know, you keep at it and understanding grows. I really, you know, I've done a lot of these now and I I just really found this book a joy to read. Your glossary in particular, I found really helpful. You, you know, you kind of mentioned in this interview of what you would like to see of connecting these concepts and topics. And I liked how you did that in the glossary with these related terms to help, you know, explicitly draw that out. Well, thank you. Thank you. That makes me feel very good. Thank you for choosing SEG to publish your book and for taking the time to write this book and for speaking to me about it today. Thank you very much. To support this SEG podcast, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this episode. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to our website at seg.org slash podcast to find all our episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by me, Andrew Gary. The SEG podcast team is Jennifer Crockett, Allie McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Special thanks to Susan Stamp for helping out with this episode. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.